You're listening to I'm Cast and You're Not. G'day everyone and welcome to I'm Cast and You're Not. This is the second episode. I don't know what happened to the first one, but it's out there in the ether somewhere. And this is a very special week, Turf, to work out who's cast and who's not, because this is the ultimate test. <laughs> Three days of potential... Glorial misery down at the pool. Yeah, you never... I reckon um, back in the... If you lost on day one, you didn't think you were down yet. You know, like there was still... It was really what the total was, race nine or ten or whatever it was on, on the Thursday was the one that counted. I was normally in the car by that stage. But if you won on day one, you knew you weren't out of the woods either. Oh, no. No, no. <laughs> it, it was a it was a uh, an endurance test. Speaking of... The endurance test. and It is an endurance It's test. like that African migration where the buffalo go through those rivers full of crocodiles. The migration to <laughs> Warrnambool every year is a relentless gallop down to Warrnambool. Yeah. And why do we... What is it about it? What is it the... Leaving the family for five days with all due respect think, to our loved ones? I think ones? there's a lot of elements to it of which that is a relevant one. I think number one. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about this... What I think for someone like me who's been going to the races, let's say, for 50-odd years now, um, Warrnambool is a little bit, for me, like what it used to be. Feels historic, doesn't because it? Because yeah. my whole, you know, throughout the 80s or 90s or whatever, it was go to the races, uh, all of your mates are there. There was enough, as much of it was socialising as well as punting, you know, because we weren't besotted with interstate racing and wall-to-wall racing just cared about the Melbourne racing. So there was a lot of socialising. All of your mates were involved, with it, be they working for bookies or bookies themselves or mate, fellow punters. And quite often a once-a-year catch-up. It was the same time yeah. next year yeah. thing for a lot of friendships. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm saying, talking about racing for me in the old, like yeah. on a weekly basis, and then it was out for dinner usually uh, before sort of families got in, got in the way. Uh, and Warnable is a recreation of that because you go there, the betting ring is full, and the betting, don't underestimate, the betting ring was such an exciting and enjoyable place to, to work in and, and to to be in. Your mates, the noise, the bookies, the, the combat, you know, the camaraderie. It was just a fantastic place. The bookies ring these days is a reasonably sterile and boring place. In those days, it was noisy, loud, smelly. It was this and that and the other. Even the smell of the texture, which I mentioned the other day. Um and when you go to Warnable now in 2021, it's a little bit like what racing was. You know, all your mates are there. It's noisy. It's loud. There's racing, competitive racing, jumps as well. And then out to dinner. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and after dinner, back in the day, we'd always, always play cards on one of the nights. Yeah, yeah. And I'm talking about poker till three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. And then roaming those dark streets of Warrnambool at two o'clock in the morning, <laughs> it, trying to remember where you were staying this year because it wasn't that. the same as last year. And I love even the weird little chats you have. You know when you get down there and everyone seems to come from we, Melbourne. Yeah. Which way did you come? Did you come the Penshurst way or the Geelong way? <laughs> oh, you're mad. Didn't you know about the road work you know, on the Geelong Road and all that sort of stuff? I stayed in the Town and Country Motel, which is on the Mortlake Road, and I just got mate. I ended up mates with the two blokes. One was a chippy and one was a fireman that were in the room next to me every year. And every year we'd have breakfast. Yep. Go into town to have breakfast or whatever, and 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 have dinner one night a week there. And I just knew them. I, you know, I just sort of got matey with them. But I wouldn't see them for twelve months. And then the following, it was like you know, old mates catching up. So it was just that whole. Well, it is that whole sort of me, uh, a memory really of what 
going to the races was when I was younger. It was the whole day. It was exciting, whether it was punting or socialising or uh, whatever. And Warnable recreates that, and there's no other meeting anymore that does. I, I agree. And, and to me, it was always the first blast of winter. You know how you're sort of coming out of April? Well, I maintain and... that that's the, that's the proof <laughs> of climate change, Warnable. Yeah. Because I remember, and maybe I'm wrong, but I remember War, Warnable as being a lot colder and wetter back in the day than it is these days. First time you bought out that ridiculously heavy coat that you haven't yeah. worn since the previous Warnable and all that sort of stuff. And there's the hill. And as you say, it's that routine. And I reckon... As time went on, I crafted different warnables for myself. Oh, when I realised I couldn't sustain three days of punting, yeah. I kind of sometimes pulled out of the Tuesday. Why could you? What? And went and played golf because that was the only... No, no, we, we played up. golf Port Ferry on the Monday. I mean, that was... You, you drive down either Sunday night or Monday morning, early Monday morning, play golf at Port Ferry Monday, and then get a good night's sleep Monday night. That was that was the behave-yourself the... <laughs> night, wasn't it? That was the behave-yourself. What I always what, what always happened for me, the biggest night ended up being the Tuesday, because everyone said, oh, well, just play it low-key Tuesday. Yeah. Then you're out till 5 a.m., and then you, you sort of sort of traipse backwards uh, for the next few days. Uh, the memories at Warnable are so unique and so dramatic, and I, the one that jumps out to me was um, Bannerstrand. And this yeah, was an amazing day. It was it was amazing. Um, I mean, I, I think he's the modern day Gallywood, if you like. You know, and his story is the, the modern day Gallywood. And I'm sure the stories from before Gallywood, you know, that equally is sort of a dramatic sort of racing stories. But Bannerstrand, you know, you see, you, it, it's like, am I seeing this? Is this? Did that actually happen? Yeah, yeah. About it. So I was down there. Ron Reed was the drill sergeant, my former colleague, and you know we we had a team down there for the Herald Sun. We had we had an ama- a huge team of reporters mm. down there once. So Bannerstrand, there's so many elements to this story. So when we realised what had happened, he jumped. For listeners who aren't aware, he jumped into a housing estate. He <laughs> lost a jockey, took off sideways, leapt over this incredibly high yeah. boundary fence. And I'll tell you about Sharon Chapman's photo, the story about that in a minute as well. But he landed on top of these people who are shielding themselves from this, what the hell is this situation? That there went was a round the world. Estate. That went and round the world. It did. And anyway, so we realised what had happened. People had been injured. Ron Reid says, and this was at the stage when I'd written a series of anti-jumps racing stories. Yeah, we'll get so, to that later So on. he dispatched me to the uh, Waterbull Hospital to check on the injured. And when they realised who I was, even despite their injuries, I just copped all this abuse in the waiting room from people who... Before you finish, it's fair to say that you are still, despite the fact this is a long time, longish time ago, you are still persona non grata with some sections of the jumps racing fraternity. Lost a lot of friends because I kind of, I couldn't keep buttering up to the jumps races when so many horses were dying so often. Yeah, and I just thought it was a terrible look for racing and for for the brand of racing and so on. And I was foolish enough to <laughs> to pin uh, quite a few pieces uh, challenging um, uh, the status quo of jumps racing. And I remember Robbie Lang came in and 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 thought that there was an issue with the jumps. Mike Simons, uh, who went on to become the MRC chairman, created a set of KPIs in order for jumps racing to reach those KPIs. They made a couple of poor decisions back in the day, didn't they? Uh, modifying hurdles, they were too low. They went too Trip quick. Bars. Uh, it, it, it wasn't a terrible period, and of course, all culminating with that fateful Grand National Hurdle Day, which I lost a horse that day, uh, and that track, which I distinctly remember, was, was a speed rink, was like concrete. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 
Uh, and, you know, there was carnage in that race. And uh, anyway, going back to well, so the con- Well, yeah, and the context of Warnable too is it, when Jumps Racing Nelly lost its own life, when Rob Hulls intervened, that would have ended the Warnable story. So... It survived and then Bannerstrand came along, or maybe Bannerstrand preceded that. So the interesting story for me was I was writing for the Herald Sun, Andrew Eddy was writing for The Age, and at that stage you never knew who had what and what sort. So a photo, Sharon Chapman at that stage was a, an employee of a stable at Caulfield who took photos on the side. She just liked doing was it. She? Took, us, okay. took herself down to Warrnambool. She took this vast panorama photo... And when she blew it up, she kept look, focusing in, focusing in. Out the, down the corner of this photo was this image of Bannerstrand leaping, leaping into the housing estate. <laughs> so anyway, so we fast forward. I've been abused at the hospital. Things. I think someone threw a crutch at me at the hospital. Tony Lock. Andrew, <laughs> in Lockett style. Andrew Eddie and I were walking out of the track and he goes, oh, we've, Fairfax has got the photo. And I said, oh, I thought we had it. So you're bidding for it. Yeah. The, so the no, papers we'll, were bidding papers cash for, for bid, We're bidding for it. And... Can I ask, so, what sort of figures are we talking about here? Are we talking in the thousands? This is probably Sharon's great regret. <laughs> so, uh-uh. so she had the photo of the century. This was bigger than, was it Bruce Postle who took the DeGessa photo, the mark of the century? Uh, may have been, yeah. Yeah, so. Like the Wayne this, Ludby sort of Nicky Winmar. Yeah, the Wayne Ludby. This was the next great sporting photo, not yeah. of just of Australian sport, but the world of sport. And Sharon Chapman had taken this photo and... Uh, so Fairfax and Murdoch both realised how how big this photo would be and how viral this would go around the world. I think in the end, the Herald Sun outbid the Age at the death knock by say four or five hundred bucks, and they got the photo. But I think the image, I think Sharon sold the image for five or six grand. Okay. Whereas, honestly, when you think about the reach of that photo and the mm. the sales of the publications, it was probably worth. Over a hundred grand. It was probably worth whatever what? she wanted to ask for it. It wasn't a royal in the background, was there? No, but, grand. No, but I mean, if you think of the the spike in circulation and the and the yeah. run and the exclusivity and all that sort of anyway, stuff. Anyway, it was where I was like, oh, watched the race from different spots. That year, I was in the Manning Yard watching the race, and you are looking at each other, say, "What happened then?" Because you well, didn't well, know. You didn't quite know. You weren't did you? sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know he lost. Lost his jockey. What's he doing? That's not the race course. He's not on the course, back of the course there. Yeah, bizarre. Just and completely They bizarre. had to reconfigure the course after it. They put a higher fence. It was impossible <laughs> yeah, to think that he got fence. over the one. So that was... And then he came out and won it. Yeah. Either yeah. the next year or the year after. So it's sort of... Com- two years. It completed the whole story. Tell you who else is going to be there. Who? The, pre- the former president of the Australian Jumping Racing Association. The man behind the Irish coming out here all those times, and that's uh, Johnny Adams, and he joins us. Johnny, welcome. How you doing, Doctor? Good, mate. You're looking forward to the bull this week? Yeah, of course, yeah, naturally. And how many do you reckon you've done? Oh, I've probably seen about 30. I've not seen every one, but I've seen the majority. Turfy was telling me off air that um, it grew legs from about the 1980s. Just a, just a little bit of history, J.A., uh, Pre-80s, it was more a Western Districts affair, but then it, it just grew legs through the 80s and became what it is today. Is that, was that the transition well, time, about the 80s? It changed. It was very much a Western District race meeting with not so many Melbourne participants, but as sort of jumps racing receded, they put more in, more emphasis on Warrnambool and the prize money grew, but on the flat, like it was just a Western District meeting, mm. bar a Warrnambool Cup. And it, it 
changed a lot in, you know, the, the profile went up a lot. So it's fair to say, like, now, you know, the Gallywood and the Briley, they are big jumps races on our calendar. Is it fair to say that 35, 40 years ago, those horses couldn't compete in the Melbourne metro area? Yeah, well, the Gallywood got created because there was the, the metropolitan clubs were a bit keen to see to die, to get rid of some of their races and to to push the horses to Warrnambool. So the, the race was created um, during the, the period that, that I was involved in the administration. I reckon it was also created because they had to honour Gallywood too because of the <laughs> incident. So, hey. Johnny, no, the Gallywood domain just, you know, it, it just it, the race came about because there was a need to create a race for open class horses. Mm. But then the club used Gallywood as the name to to work in with it. Turf was there that day. I imagine you were as well. And it's sort of the greatest legend of all the legendary stories of the bull. Just quickly recap the Gallywood story, and then what are some of the other great Warnable yarns, either off-track or on-track, that, that spring to mind for you? Well, well Gallywood uh, won a Grand Annual, and he was a regular competitor at Warnable in the Grand Annual, and he was a local horse, Jocker Bailey trained him, and uh, Trevor Murphy rode him, and it tipped over one year at the last fence and lowered there, and it, you know, no one knew whether it was dead or was exhausted, and it, like, it was... 12 or 15,000 people there, and they all, it was a jump right in front of the crowd. Uh, but it got up and stood up uh, and, and walked away 10 minutes later. And How long was, was he down for? Well, they had, they had the screen around him, didn't they, J.A.? The, yeah, they did, the, the yeah. screen was up, so it wasn't looking good. And then all of a sudden, I remember the head and the ears appearing above the screen. <laughs> and it walked his sheer from yes. the crowd. Yeah, no, it was. I, um, I mean, obviously the famous stories about him and, and, and Bannerstrand, if you like, but give us a quirky one. Give us something that we don't know. Well, there were probably two really good stories. One was in 1972, uh, there was a trial hurdle on Grand Annual Day, four runners, come to the last and two tipped over. Uh, Teddy Byrne, and I'm not sure it was on the other one. Anyway, a spectator, it was actually was a, a licensed Black jockey, but he got quite heavy. He jumped the fence and hopped on the one of the fallen horses and rode it up the straight. Teddy Byrne also remounted, uh, but this, the, the one that his guy's name was Peter Simonson, and when he weighed in, he was four pound light and was disqualified. And Teddy Byrne got third for the remounting. Are you telling me a spectator? Mounted a yeah. fallen horse. I'll oh, give us a spell. Yeah. <laughs> and that also happened in the Grand Annual in the 60s. <laughs> of course it did. Well, you couldn't imagine it now because no one in the crowd knows how to ride anymore. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you did. Well, look, it was a very funny story. I was at Penthurst one day, and one of the riders hadn't turned up, and I, it was a late meeting, it was, and the steeple chase was about 6 o'clock, and I called out. Is there anybody available to take a ride in the steeplechase? And the bloke walked out the bar <laughs> and he said, I'll ride this thing. <laughs> and he had a license for Mike, but they never breath tested him in the day. And we give it a slash at ride, went there and ran second on it. And like, the trainer said, Look, we ride it again at New Year's Day. And it was sober on New Year's Day. He wasn't worth too much. It's staggering around. <laughs> 
Hey, just before we let you go, uh, you and I were in the Manning Yard the day that uh, Rob Hulls, who was the Racing Minister and the State Attorney-General, made that fateful decision or the attempted fateful decision that that was it. Um, did you yourself think the jumps were gone that day? I really wasn't sure because it had such a big public following there at Warrnambool. It was a difficult situation. You know, to make an announcement where there were, they were the people were 30 to 1 wanting it, I think it got more into into doubtful ground when that that David that Judge um, David Jones or Judge Judge when he had that inquiry and it was left entirely in his hands. Mm. We know what happened. Uh, that's when it got into the most you know, where one person had to say whether it went on or it didn't. Yeah, I think uh, Rob Hulls' trouble and strife may have had something to do with it as well, didn't she? I'll be hand on heart. I was wanting it run out of town back yeah, then as well because it was no, getting. You're a turncoat. I remember you were a turncoat. Uh, well, Johnny, you you remember at the time when you look back, there seemed like there wasn't a meeting that went by there that there wasn't a fatality. The fatalities were through the roof. There yeah, was a they, trip they, well, bar on the jumps. They, uh, they dropped the level, the height of the hurdles. Oh, it was a nightmare. It was time. a nightmare. And in retrospect. Oh, I will say that I lost a lot of friends in the jumps community over my stance, but mm. at the time it was unsustainable. If it had continued as it was, it was going to it was going to kill the brand of racing. It had to pick it, pull up at socks quickly, and it did. You and were as what, what triggered it off. A lot of people don't realise this, but the occupational health and safety wouldn't allow the workers to lift the hurdles, the existing hurdles. Because I, I wouldn't allow him to lift, make a lift of more than 40 kilos, something like that. And so the existing hurdles had to be, like the hurdles at Flemington were the best hurdles ever. And they weren't allowed to use them anymore. So they asked the track staff to design hurdles. And they designed those yellow, you know, those yep. yellow top hurdles, you put iron bars behind them. And like they you know, they jumped a bit low and they were just smacking into them bars behind them. They went too quick. Robbie Lang yeah. came up with the right model, uh, as well as others. The analogy you were looking for, Doc, I reckon I was as popular in Warrnambool for a few years as an Arctic breeze in January. Yeah. <laughs> a, a sound, as solid as a pound of butter in the sun, uh, you were described as. Yes, yeah. I actually was fearful going down there some years. Uh, How am I going to go with the whalers tonight? And i tell you something else our guest was responsible for, and that was the Irish jockeys coming out here. Was That, that was a great period of jumps racing, Johnny. Well, look, you know, the things that I enjoyed during the time that I was involved with, we, we, we had the international riders and the Irish, and then when we went to Sydney for those years with the hurdles. Oh, tell me about it. And, and the Brisbane hurdles, and, you know, some of the things we were able to do in those times. The Tui's Hurdle, I think it was called at Rose Hill, uh, J.A. Mate, great to catch up. Um, you've had a great oh, career. Yeah. You've had a great uh, part of uh, the success and the ongoing success of Jones Racing. Enjoy your Warnable this week, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks, sir. And maybe say mate. Johnny Adams. What a great character. Speaking of which, Brett Scott, I remember one year. So I was staying in a unit down near Lady Bay, and Brett Scott was in the unit next door, and he had a sig- he had a, a, something organised with one of his, uh, his roommate that the key would be left in a boot at the front of his room, but the bloke didn't leave the key in the boot. And this was on the eve of Franco very much. Right. He'd ride Franco, Franco very yeah. much. This was quite early in the morning of the race or late the night before. Yeah. And um, I get a knock on my door. And this seriously is about 4 o'clock in the morning. And Scotty, <laughs> he, may, he may vouch for this or not. I open it up and he's going, oh, Mitt, 
I've got a bit of a bit of a problem. I, I can't get into my access to my room, and I've got to ride the favourite in the Grand Annual tomorrow. <laughs> I said, right, I top and tail. No funny business. Oh. So we top and tailed it. Wow. And then I felt so proud the next day when he won. I was telling everyone, and it was a difficult one to explain, where I, I said, I slept with the jockey last night. <laughs> and you run this past Kylie, have you? Kylie's just finding out for the first time if yeah. she tunes into this podcast. But aren't those memories mm. unique? I don't know any memories that are so odd and weird of any other racetrack experience, they're all unique to Warnable. Yeah, aren't they? you know the Gallywood, obviously. Well, we won't go through the Gallywood story, but it's probably the you know most told story. My memory of it was being in the mounting yard, and this particular Warnable, I had my wife with me. We had uh, had a mate that had a, fa- uh, a farm at Nurat, a dairy farm, and we'd stayed with him, and she'd come down, and we were in the mounting yard, and. Gallywood strapper was just bawling, completely bawling. And when his ears appeared above the Hessian screen, <laughs> my wife told her, said, hang on, hang on. And that's just my memory of that particular incident. And God-fearing Western District types would have thought divine intervention. They yeah. would have thought a ghost or something like that. And then he went on to win as well. Yeah, so yeah. so you, mentioned, you mentioned Rob Hulls, who was the Attorney General. Yep and the racing minister and made that dramatic announcement of the cessation of jumps racing in the mounting yard at, at Warrnambool. And there was a war room. I went into the war room. They all went into the war room to discuss whether it would be stopped right there and then. I was standing next to Rodney Ray, who was the president of the AJRA at the time. I thought he was going to knock him out. Like see, it, yeah. it was the, it, because I mean, what a place to make the announcement for starters. Brave, and, I, and, and it begs this question: that after the carnage at Flemington and the Grand National that day, if Warnable wasn't the carnival it, it was, would they have pulled the pin on it on jumps racing? Did it? Is it the justification to hold? Was on? it be, because it was going to affect an entire? Town, big country town, and uh, you know so many trainers and, and jockeys and 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 uh, staff involved in jumps racing based in Warnable, and the fact that it was part of Victorian tourism, if you like, as well, it was part of the not just the the racing industry, part of the Victorian tourism industry. I wondered if it wasn't for Warnable, would would we have lost jumps racing? And could Warnable have survived without jumps racing? Because I know that there they was... They were talking about flat meetings, yeah, you know. And some uh, retaining the three days all, all and getting of that Gay Waterhouse sort of stuff, and yeah, Bowman yeah. and all these sort of things. I wouldn't have, Would you have gone? It, well, it goes I back to what gone. we said at the start. Because I love is, jumps racing. Yeah, and, and I, I have come back to the fold. Have you? To all my former friends out there. I've come. <laughs> have you been welcomed so, back? But, but would it, with modern generations, if you had... And this this is silly for us to talk about Warnable without the jumps because it is so intrinsic to it. But no, no it were, is everything. Is it I, about, I know we've is got it, the one. Is it about dumping the family for a week? Is it about catching up with your mates and playing you golf and going to the that. pub? But yeah, yeah. what's the stronger pull, or is it everything? I think it's it's yeah. the sum of the parts. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, look, jumping dumping the family. No, it's not that for me <laughs> at all. Uh, You've but, occasionally taken yours down. Uh, well, no, yeah. just the ones. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was for me. It was the the whole the whole package. It was. I mean, I love jumps racing, and I've owned a stack of jumpers. Uh, it was the jumps racing, and the Waterbury Cup's a great race. Uh, the flat racing has changed in my time, where it was. You know the, the the 
camping out and trainer and the stall trainer, you know, pinching maidens and, and the great stories where it is totally, I mean, Robert Spurden started it, Darren Weir finished it, yeah. Moody, all of the, the big stables, they win those races now. It's not those local, when a local trainer, even a trainer from Camperdown or somewhere like that wins one of those races. Yeah. It's a bit of an oddity now. It, whereas whereas that was the essence of Warnable back in those days. Uh, but the, and, and as I mentioned before, the whole social aspect of it, the, you know, the dinners afterwards and, and you know, the one or two. Quest were, for the car? That was, a, that was a good flat talking point. It involved the jumps as well, but I think it was Weir and Smurden. Yeah. And it was always, Weary fell at the last on one occasion. Oh, no, when he had a horse, I think he had a horse withdrawn before the last one particular year. And a subsequent inquiry ensued. But, uh, and then Robert won it, I think. Uh, Robert Smurden won it. Because uh, he had to win what, four majors or something like that, I think. And there was one year, remember I texted Robert uh, Smurden. Four races with a couple of majors. Remember, I wasn't there this year for some reason. And the betting ring, you know how Robert always pretended he had no idea what was happening in the betting ring. Like he'd toddle up to the post-race interview and someone said, you know, that was eight to three. Or was it? <laughs> so the betting ring was exploding. And then that was part, to me, the one of the great parts of historically of the Warrnambool Carnival is the plunge and mm. the betting ring. And we're mm. going to have a chat to someone who was probably one of the greatest plunge stories of all time. And the biggest plunge that in my lifetime down there was a horse called City Gossip, trained mm -hmm. by the legendary plunge trainer, Carlo Vidotto. How are you, Carlo? Good, thanks. Is it a fresh or a distant memory? Oh, it's a distant memory. <laughs> have, you, have you got anything left of it, Carlo, more importantly? Oh, I don't know. Age is catching up. So, But anyway, you never know what's around the corner. My grandson's taking out going to take over so All right, I bet you it's called City Gossip Lodge now that's a, that's the horse who paid for it so you had Stable Gossip as well you had the two gossip horses Stable Gossip you pulled off a plunge at Seymour but then you went down to Warnable with City Gossip uh, yeah. during a during one of the May carnivals in the 80s tell us about the story of City Gossip I trialled him at Packenham one day his final trial to go to Warnable and uh Anyway, and he got trapped on the inside, and uh, he was absolutely bolting. And he could have won the trial, be how far, but anyway, he couldn't get a run, and no one seen it because the cameras probably weren't that good those days. Yeah, so uh, Normie hopped off in the trial, and he said, I don't care where you put this horse, he'll just win. Did he have any? Was he a debutante, or did he have some form going down there? It was first up. Yeah, first right. Up. All right, so... It was his first run in the race. Who rode, Carlo? Uh, Normie Waymount. Storm and Norman. And uh, pre-race instructions? Well, just go out and win. <laughs> but then, <laughs> anyway, uh, we'd put all this bloody money on him and he missed a start by about two lengths and he was last coming around the corner. And I, was, I, was, I said to me, mate, I said, oh, we've done our money here. Anyway, next minute he pulled him out in the straight and he just went home one be 2 <laughs> So how did you set it up? Yep. I mean, the betting ring's huge. The tote was there as well. You're heading down to Warrnambool. You've got all this money to put on this debutante. How did it unfold, the betting plunge? Oh, no, it all went good. Because no, I, I think the bookies in those days were a lot stronger. Mm. Braver. Yeah, bro, there was a lot of good bookies down there in those days. So it was, it was just the one, the one bet, Carlo, or did you have three or four mates sort of get involved as well? No, it was dribbed on, a bit here and a yep. bit there. Opening, opening price, Carlo? I think when they opened up about tens. Okay. Into? I think he started about twos. 
Yeah, that's nice. Without asking a personal question, what was the haul? What was the <laughs> that's, haul? That's that a day? personal question, Matthew. I'm asking a personal question, Carlo. What was the haul? What did you take home, and how many pockets did you have? have did you have to have to, to to take it out of the track? It was quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> was it all cash or any on the Murray? Oh, I think Brian Mann might have had some on his book. Can't remember now. <laughs> good. He always whinges, Brian, too. He's yeah, never he's won in his life. He's, he's broken evens his best day, he says. Yeah, that's right. What day of the carnival was it, Carlo? City Gossip. It was, the, uh, it was the first day. So, big celebration on the on the Tuesday night? Oh, God, I think it was a week. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, Car- Carlo, just generally speaking, what was it about uh, Warnable that... Um, Made you want to go 40 years in a row? Oh, I just love going down there, watching the races and to work away from home and mm. just something we've done every year. And, um, yeah, that's that. So you used to go whether you had runners or not? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever happened to City Gossip? Oh, he broke down. Broke down one of his joints. He was a good horse, but... Stable. Was, it, was he a better... I mean, Stable Gossip was a seriously good horse. Was he potentially a better horse? I think this horse probably is good. Yeah, that's bad luck. Tell us about Stable Gossip at Seymour, talking about plungers. <laughs> yeah, well, Stable Gossip was a terrific horse. He bloody wanted Seymour, and then I took him to um, to Bendigo Cup Day, and uh, I was going to pay me money back on that day, and uh, Aussie Ostrich, you know Aussie Ostrich? Aussie yeah. Toshak, yes. To- yes, I do. <laughs> yes. He said, Carlo, he said, if you're going to bet today, he said, you won't win. He said, call me the breeze is going to win at one of Hanlon's. Mm. Anyway, we came out and broke the track record. <laughs> was it a bigger plunge than City Gossip at Warnable? Oh, no, not as big, no. But uh, Stable Gossip was a good horse. He won uh, Chester Manifold. Mm. Like he was a terrific horse at Flemington. Is life good, Carlo, now? Yeah, life's good. Just getting a bit old. That's about it. Hey, Carlo, uh Great for the chat this morning, and uh, we certainly uh, wish uh, wish you wish you well in, in the future, and your grandson, and hope you have a great Warnable this week. Thanks very much. Great to catch up with Carlo Vadotto, who uh, was one of those plunge trainers, as he's mentioned. You know, like the skinny Saunders type. When when there was money for one of theirs, beware. Exactly right. Exactly right. I reckon some of the great stories were the lifetime, act- the the nighttime activities. Well, one thing, but then these blokes who you saw out till four or five o'clock in the morning, who then were competing in the grand annual, quite and not just the grand annual. I mean, do you remember they, they, only a few years ago when they they breath tested a few jockeys. I think Ollie got uh, stood down. Yep. Paul Hamblin, I think he actually successfully fought that charge, didn't he? But they got stood down. But I tell you what, because they the, the stewards breathalysed jockeys, and if they had if they had done it twenty years ago. There would have been six. There would have horses. been a shortage, a skills <laughs> shortage. Absolutely, there would have. By jinger, because I, I can tell you, this is fair, Nicko. This is going back a long time. And I won't name him, but there was a jockey on one of the favourites in the Grand Annual who was replaced on the Thursday because he just turned up at the course with a dislocated shoulder, and apparently, or told them that he'd um, ridden a horse track work that morning and had tipped over. Uh, in actual fact, he'd got blind the night before, gone to sleep on a haystack and rolled over and fallen off it. 
and <laughs> dislocated his shoulder and had to be replaced. They did it hard. I know the jockey you're talking about. I used to hang out with him and Jock MacArthur up at the Darlington Hotel. And uh, Jock, similar story, Jock uh, fell off a thousand horses and only ever broke his leg when he fell off a stool at the Darlington Hotel. <laughs> the Londrigans. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, I'll tell you about uh, Butch. Uh, one of the great Warrnambool uh, jockeys. Uh, he uh, Back in the day, we talked about Punter to Punter last week. Every year, Punter to Punter played the jockeys in a football match, which was always played, all, almost always played in good spirit until one year that Butch Londrigan played. And I reckon he, I reckon he belted six of us. Uh, he said to rip and bloke. All in fun. Uh, all in yeah, fun. That was all. No, he didn't, nothing, none of it was too violent, but did change the tenor of the, the, the game a little bit. Indeed. But I tell you, at the time I got mark of the, mark of the year, I, I took a mark over uh, Mick Gouchy. My feet never left the ground. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say, I didn't think you were going to take it over a towering six-footer. <laughs> hey, what about the illogical things that happen at Warrnambool because of the love of the quest. And I remember Sir Pentire in 2009. I remember Mick Price said something to Robbie Lang after it. So Sir Pentire hadn't raced for four years. He'd had 50 bloody... That was one of the great (laughs) training performances. Bow tendons. It cost him agonising years and years to prepare him for this one race. And he he came out and won it after a string of um, hurdle schools or steeplechase schools. And everyone was patting Robbie Lang on the back and... Mick Price, Mick Price, the accountant-minded trainer, went up to him afterwards and said, "Mate, well done. What'd you win? Oh, you know, thirty grand for me or something like that. How long did it take you? Oh, three or four years of endless toil." And Mick just rolled his eyes and said, "Well done, anyway." And walked <laughs> and walked off. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that was a great story. That, that, that was a, a great win. I stood next to Kieran Ma when he won with Regina Coelho, and I reckon one of the modern legends of Warnable is Kieran Ma, mm. and. Uh, uh, Colin McKenna and all that crew, like the just diehards, you know. Mm. And uh, Kieran Mars won a lot of big races, and he's won a lot of big races since this day. But I inadvertently was standing next to him when he watched the race, and the the sense, the, the body language of him as this Regina Coeli was just itching closer and closer to victory. And she was a twenty to one shot because she'd won it a couple of years earlier, and then something went wrong, and she was assisted to Elga Hood, and they yeah, bred yeah. off the farm. And yeah. to me, that everything about that win and his just his joy at winning with this slow old mare who was mm. a brother to a slow old horse called mm. Elga Hood. Mm. Um, that summed up. It, mm. It's not about the, the remuneration because there isn't much and you've got to work really hard to get it, but there's something kind of... The magic of the bull to me is that, is it the, the, the addiction to it for, for reasons that aren't monetary. And I reckon that was that summed it up for me, Regina Coelho. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, that was a, an astonishing win. That was one of the... One of the, I don't know, maybe four or five times I've watched the race from the top of the hill, which I probably started doing too late because it, it is a treat at the oh, top of the hill. You know what? You're going to have to tell me about it because I've never done it. What is the attraction? Obviously, there's a good you vista. You see everything. Yeah. You see everything. You know, it reminds me of, um, you know, the Dandy Andy Australian Cup where I think I remember watching that from the top of the member. It may have been the old Flemington members stand. I was on the top deck there. And it's the sort of thing where you you see everything before everybody else. I reckon you could see what was going to happen 400 metres from home with Dandy Andy. Yep. Uh, and it was a little... Watching the Grand Annual from up there is a little bit the same. You, you see the entire course. You see every jump out the back, whereas watching it in the mounting or even the stand, it's not... You know, it's not... 
I mean, do you still watch it on the screen or through the binocs? I think I must be the only person who still watch racing. My dad gave me a pair of Zeiss binoculars for my 18th birthday, and I never used them, and yeah. I, they got misplaced because I. I was post that era, I think. There was always a TV screen. I still, I still take my binoculars to the races, not that I go that often these days, and I keep thinking, what the hell have I got them for? You know, like, <laughs> anyway, it's just a habit. But, yeah, the top of the hill, you just see everything. And it's packed up there. Packed. Right. Well, it depends on what zone I find myself in this week. I reckon... I'm going to make sure I'm in the right zone because I've got to see it from on top of the hill this week. It's the most, you know, it's the most famous racing viewing position. We like doing this. Name a be- name a more famous one. <laughs> the most famous viewing spot in Australian racing is the hill at Warrnambool, isn't it? I would say so. Yeah, I would say so. That and uh, probably in front of the, the stand at Mooney Valley Cox Plate Day. True, because that's the that's the noise. I've, that, that's. The best noise in racing is Media Valley. We always give each other a wide berth at Warrnambool, so let's make a deal that the next time we see each other, we'll be on top of the hill three minutes before they jump on Thursday for the annual. It's only because I know you're going to snip me. <laughs> I quite like your company. If the, you Remove the snipping from your, your uh, modus operandi. We're mates. I told you I snipped every member of the Friedman family, which is, yeah, if you think a, about a, it, that is mission impossible. Did you get Dell? No, no, not Dell. I just wasn't <laughs> brave enough to go with Dell. Hey, I'll see you on top of the hill on Thursday.